1: Welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Alex, and I am back at it again this week as we continue to wrap up our discussion on the Olivet Discourse. And we are finally at the conclusion of it. Uh, We are going to plant ourselves in the final uh, 15 verses here in Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to look at the final judgment. Uh, It's a pretty straightforward text. There are some things that we will discuss about it. So I don't envision this episode to be, uh, you know, very long. Some prior ones in this little series has taken um, north of an hour but uh, I believe we can probably sum this up pretty quick and get you guys on your way. Um, there is some stuff in here, though, that I would like to talk about uh, as we get to the verses around uh, being hungry and, and thirsty, which is found in verse 35 on through verse 40. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But uh, the whole little premise that we followed here. Uh, brings us back to the 24th chapter in Matthew. This runs parallel to Mark 13 and Luke 21. And so we've uh, walked ourselves through a lot of that text and we've done comparisons back and forth and we've looked at uh, some of the text and wordings used by the other writers and uh, how the text comes together and how they align. Uh, and then we spent the last two weeks just looking at the parables here in Matthew 25, and now we wrap up with the final judgment. And this is the text that we will look at more in depth uh, with the sheep and the goats, and uh, and basically the servanthood that Christ is calling us into. Uh, with that being said, um, you know, the usual house cleanings, but very quickly, uh, this is a listener-supported show. If you would like to uh, come alongside this ministry, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and join us on Patreon. You can find us there on Dying Light, and uh, that would give you access to everything that we do. The other few things, obviously, I'm using Logos Bible software to to walk us through this entire study. I've got all my books and notes and Bible uh, study Bibles and all that jazz up here on my screen, and so hopefully we'll be able to... Um, pick it all apart and put it together into a cohesive episode for you as we've been doing thus far. And uh, then obviously, if you'd like any sort of merch from Undying Lights, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, hoodies, any of that, uh, coffee mugs even, you can grab that. Uh, Link is in my bio. We are on a website called called Bonfire. I am considering changing suppliers because I want to make sure I can find something that might be a little bit more affordable for everybody because... Um, some people are willing to pay, you know, north of twenty some dollars for a shirt and thirty or forty for a sweatshirt. But uh, some people don't care to pay that much. I'm one of those people. I hate paying money. You know, that's ridiculous amount for clothing. So we're gonna look and see if we can't find something a little bit cheaper. But for the time being, that's where that is. And you can also submit a DM, uh, a request to me through DM, and I can put any quote. Uh, theologians on there on the back of the shirt currently right now it's just psalm 119 105 as kind of the um, you know the original verse that we used to kind of kick off the show but uh, I'm able to place anything on there so uh, I've had some people request some Martin Luthers and R.C. Sproul. Uh, even somebody found a quote that they liked of mine in a sermon. And therefore, I stapled that on there and have sold a few of those. So people seem to like that. Crazy, I know. But anyways, guys, if you do want to actually follow me, I am preaching full time in a church. So you can come alongside this ministry uh, as well, and f- watch me preach every Sunday. Uh, we are in the middle of Lent season. Uh, we are going through the life of Christ as we lead up to the death and resurrection uh, that will happen in Holy Week. Here, the last half of uh, the last week of March and the first few days are in uh, April because Easter is April 4th. So we will <laughs> walk ourselves over the course of the next seven or eight weeks, I believe, and uh, well, seven now because I just did uh week one last Sunday. So uh, we are on YouTube and Facebook, Stratford Evangelical Lutheran. You can come and find me there and uh, watch my sermons and watch the service and and uh, kind of get a bigger feel of what we're doing. You know, in in the ministry itself uh, that goes just beyond what I do here for the show. Uh, all right, guys. So we are. At the conclusion, I, I'm, I'm so excited to finally get to this point. I feel like it's another hurdle, uh, another accomplishment in this. You know, we, did, we started this whole series way back in August of last year, and this is going to probably take us a whole year to do. Um, we did, you know, uh, a first episode kind of on an introductory show, and then we did Heaven, Hell, and Death. Um, I think it was Death, Heaven, and Hell, something in that order. Uh, and then we did another small series on the four main views, of eschatology, and then we looked at world religions and and, and the pagan religions and how they viewed uh, um, the end of time, so we looked at a few of those over the course of a couple of weeks, and then we looked at the Old Testament eschatology, and we spent a number of weeks on that. We took a small break uh, for Christmas, and then we kicked off in January with looking at the Olivet Discourse and so this will air on the 19th this will be the last episode in the Olivet Discourse and then next week we will start prepping and producing the the content for the Pauline eschatology so we're going to look at a couple of weeks I still haven't gotten yet to sit down and do those notes but we will get to that and probably plan out a little bit of a schedule I'll probably release maybe a, a visual timeline on Instagram to kind of Put my thoughts down. I don't want to spend a ton of time in there because Revelation is going to take a number of weeks. I'm looking at about 21 weeks to begin with uh, as we walk through the the whole book. So we're going to go uh, beginning to end, and uh, we will tackle that monster and see where it leads us. So we still have a lot on our plates to deal with, but these small uh, achievements here as we reach the conclusion uh, is is phenomenal because I feel like we are covering a lot of text and we've literally gone through two chapters here in, in Matthew um, and kind of in the fashion that I would preach in, Uh, I would take this text kind of, you know, uh, work through it and, and get to a juncture where I'm saying, okay, I'm ready to present this now to a congregation, but obviously I'm not delivering a sermon here. I'm, you know, explaining this these these words here from Jesus, so it's a different context, different style, but you know i I would preach in verse by verse manner to my church as well, so depending on where we're at right now, we're doing obviously the life of Jesus as we go through Lent so where we're at is going to be you know depending on uh the events taking place, like this week, we'll actually be looking at the temptation of Jesus, I know rabbit holes, but bear with me. Uh, And then, but like next week or in a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at enemies of Jesus. So we won't be going verse by verse through a section. We're going to be covering a multitude of of scripture that uh, we see uh, Jesus faced with challenges from the Pharisees and how they were always trying to, um, you know, either take away his credibility or uh, just posing to be kind of just a bunch of jerks that were walking around challenging him all the time. So, that is uh, the kind of lineup that I'm doing with the church. So obviously, like I said, that's the same structure as I've been trying to do with the show. But you know, we didn't go through a, uh, we went through a lot in the Old Testament, but we didn't cover all of it. And as I kind of was trying to allude to, there's still a lot out there. So there's so much text in like the Book of Daniel, Ezekiel. There's stuff in Isaiah, um, and then there's a lot of things in the Psalms and you know, other books that talk about, you know, the glorious Christ coming. Obviously, they point to the Messiah. And as we highlighted, as we, you know, went through that is the Israelites were always looking forward to something and they were looking forward to the promised Messiah. And we cover that when we did Genesis 1, 2, and 3. As we are now working through the words of that promised Messiah, we see a different type of end of times, if you would. And now we're actually dealing with the heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, Christ coming to establish his kingdom and, um, essentially just remove the sin from this world, remove the sinners from this world and rule over his chosen people. So, Bear with me uh a little bit here as kinda of still have some nasally things going on. It seems like anytime I talk for a long time you get that build up, so I got that uh slight sniffle. I noticed that last night I was preaching and uh I got to the end of my sermon and I was about ready just to you know, I don't know my nose was gonna explode. It felt like it was so backed up. But uh anyways, so I'm just uh hammering through content and uh, got a lot on my plate as we continue moving through it. So without further ado, as we've kind of set up our timelines for everybody and given them some ideas what's going to happen on this show, let's get to the text. Verse 31, chapter 25 in the book of Matthew. So when the Son of God comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all of the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will take place and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, Truly I say to you, As you did not do from one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right, there's a lot happening. As always, this is a complex little discourse. This isn't just, you know, a run-of-your-mill scripture where it's got kind of a you know, point and and uh, you know, and a conclusion, a climax, and a conclusion. I mean, this is very complex uh, sermon that Jesus is giving here in, to his disciples. Obviously, this little piece of text is a part of the bigger commentary that comes uh, all the way back to verse, you know, chapter twenty-four. So you can go back and listen to that. So. As we start to unpack this, the first thing that we get in verses, uh, you know, 31 through 46 here is this is the judgment at the end. Jesus and his disciples are to wait patiently and anticipation uh, for the reward at his return when the unrepentant and unprepared will receive only judgment. So the disciples are being prepped here. Jesus is telling them this is what is going to happen. We I will come and I will separate the sheep and the goats. And this is an interesting, you know, parable that's kind of set up, right? Or story that Jesus gives. And, and he's using the analogy, again, of his people being sheep. And the those that are against Christ, the, the unrepentant, are goats. You don't mix the two together. They are two separate peoples, groups, um, two separate animals. And used to and use to this analogy here. and uh, but again, what we get here is that this announcement is going to you know come forward. Christ is going to judge all the nations, and like a shepherd dividing his sheep from the goats, resumes the theme of the parable from the weeds sown among the wheat. It's an interesting throwback as we uh, can look back in earlier chapters in Matthew uh, thirteen. Verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43, and then we also had the parable of the net, uh, and back in 13 as well. And uh, Jesus says here again, the kingdom is of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, man drew it to a shore, and sat down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of age the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if we take this parable here in Matthew 13, this fits perfectly with what Christ is telling us here in Matthew 25. This is exactly what is going to happen before him will be gathered all the nations and he, Jesus will separate the people uh, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, so the you know the parable of the fish is the fishermen are throwing out the bad fish and keeping the good, just as Jesus is keeping his sheep from the goats. The sheep are his people, the righteous, and uh, the goats are the unrighteous, the evil. They will be thrown into the fiery furnace. That says it there in Matthew thirteen, and it also says it here in. Uh, Verse 45 and 46, verse 46 is pretty, pretty blunt. It says, and those will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I just, I I give that bit of a pause, right? Because we can even rewind to 41 and say, depart where Jesus says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, right? This is the same uh, visions imagery used by Jesus earlier in Matthew 13 into the fiery furnace. But it also repeats the idea that he counts treatment melted, meted it out to his little ones, his disciples, his treatment for himself. Now, I, I want to make a quick point and maybe a side tangent uh, before we really dig further into this, because... There's the the text that he's using here, that Matthew's calling upon, uh, has a great connection to Acts chapter 9 with uh, Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus is saying uh, to the righteous, you did these things to the least of me, you've done them to me. And he says it to the unrighteous, if you did not do any of these things for the least of me, then you did not do them for me. And That is a great, like, parallel to Acts chapter 9 when Jesus confronts Paul on the road to Damascus, and he simply says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul wasn't out persecuting Jesus, you know, directly, but he was persecuting his church, and Jesus feels that connection with his church, and so that's why he makes this connection. He says it here in Matthew, and he says it again in Acts when we do these things for the least of these people in the world we are doing them to christ and so i was i preached a sermon um and and i used some of the text from acts and and i forget where where this was uh but i just remember kind of using this and i'd read it you know elsewhere in my and you know as as i was preparing for it but the way we treat other people is the same way we treat jesus And so if we are respectful and loving and caring and open and concerned about other people, that is a direct representation for our love and compassion for Christ. But if we don't go out of our way to play the role of servant for those in this world, then we, in fact, uh, are no better than the unrighteous here in this text. So let's continue uh, before we really kind of unpack, you know, the... uh, Verses 34 and 35 to 40. I really want to get into that. I've got some, you know, thoughts on it. So verse 31, uh, the son of man is uh, seen here with his angels with him. Uh, this is, again, a throwback to the earlier text in Matthew 13. This is also a um, what Paul uses to refer to him in 2 Thessalonians and the apostle John in Revelation 14 sitting on his glorious throne. Now, interesting here that Jesus is sitting on his throne because, uh, we, if we go back all the way to the old Testament to, uh, the book of Daniel, and we talked about that a little bit, uh, where the son of man is presented as holy. He's not actually sitting on his throne in that depiction, but here we see Jesus sitting on his throne in the glory of God. Uh, another, piece to really consider too sheep and the goats right not described as being judged on this day but they're rather separated accordingly this parable is not primarily about judgment but about the revelation and the public uh, vindication of true believers so that's something key to, to really hold to the text does say the final judgment but there's no there's not judging no judging happening Right? It's just mainly the separation of the sheep and the goats. However, what we get is almost a simultaneous judgment that, they, that the righteous are led into eternal bliss and the unrighteous are led into eternal punishment. And in fact, that's what it says. And these will go away into eternal punishment. Those are the unrighteous, but the righteous into eternal life. And so they are given the kingdom of heaven here for those who are righteous. In the ancient world, the right hand was regularly associated with privilege and honor, as another reference here in verse 33 to Christ sitting at the right hand and the sheep being placed at his right. So the right signifies uh, privilege and honor, So those who would attest to being his sheep and those who Christ has called his own have this place of honor. Uh, Verse 34, the king, uh, get back here to my notes, it skipped out of me. Then the king will say to those on the right, I don't know why my screen keeps bouncing, but we'll figure it out here. Uh, It's a fitting title, right? Given the coronation theme back in Daniel 7, prepared for you. Now let's look at something that uh, St. Brian of Clairvoy writes. He says your present justification is the revelation of the divine counsel and a preparation for future glory. Let none therefore doubt that he is loved who already loves the love of God freely follows our love, which it preceded. So it's a throwback uh, note on Daniel seven, but it's. You know, again, it's a fitting title because this is the king. He is the one to come and separate. He has the authority to do so. And that's something that we will see greatly uh, when we get to um, the book of Revelation, that we will see how Christ has that authority. Uh, Carrying on here, we get to this. Text in 35 and 36. Now this um this is kind of the piece that I wanted to park on for a few minutes, right? Because this is kind of the meat of this parable. It's not just uh verses thirty-two and thirty-three where he comes before the nations and starts to separate the people uh in as a herd shepherd does his herds, you know, moving the sheep from the goats. Uh, verse 33, and places the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So we kind of get that picture now. But he looks to those on the right, to the people on the right. These are the honored and the privileged. These are the sheep. And he says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, 34 is a fantastic verse because it goes on further to say that God has prepared this for us from the foundations of the world. We can also see that reflection of what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, that we were chosen before the foundations of the world. And so God has known exactly how everything's going to pan out, everything is going to unfold, how everything will happen. He has ordained all of it. And we get this reassurance i mean this is that's exactly what this is it's reassurance it's not anything else this is the promise that those who are righteous those who are the sheep get to inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for us from before the foundations of the world and i think this this holds true for a lot of people because we get into this mindset of well did i do enough good work did i was i nice enough was i kind enough and and the reality of all of this is is you're not because you 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 can't fulfill the requirements if requirements were to be had you couldn't fulfill. You could not possibly live and fulfill all the 10 commandments because Christ had to do that. And thank God for Christ because none of us can do that. Yet we still have this privilege and honor to come before him and serve him. And we have this privilege to worship him in this time before the breakings of the heavens, uh, before the sky splits and he appears with his angels and the trumpet blast sounds. So as we see here, verse 34, right? We get this wonderful depiction of, you know, the foundation of the world uh, we also get this imagery that um, God is, uh, the Son of Man is sitting on his throne. And we talked about that, you know, being a depiction of uh, Daniel 7, as I said a few times. And I, and I just love this title, in which the Ancient of Days bestows the kingdom upon one like the Son of Man. That's a throw to Daniel 7 there. Blessed by my Father, the blessing to the sheep consists of their inheritance in the Father's kingdom given not as a reward of good works, but because of their saving relationship with the Father and the Son. As I've stated, this is not something that you could do to inherit on your own demeanor. This is not a merit or a, a ladder that you can climb. You possibly can never do enough good works to earn salvation. But God, being rich and full of grace and mercy, gives that to us freely through his son, Jesus Christ. And so this is what we get in that verse. Now we move on to verse 35, and we get this uh, wonderful little uh, story, if you would, kind of a sub-parable inside of here. Uh, Verses 35 and 36, the story does not teach that people are justified before God on the basis of works. The sheep receive their blessing and inheritance from from the Father from a single word about their uh, before a single word of their good works is spoken. Scripture teaches that people do good works in God's sight only after they come to faith and have been justified by Christ. Good works are a result of salvation, not its cause. Now. I'm curious, uh, not necessarily curious, but I I do have to say that there are some people that uh, have been interested in my views of good works. And I put a few posts out recently, and I kind of want to just reiterate some things here uh, as we kind of unpack some of this scripture. First of all, these are not anything that we can do to earn our salvation. I am very clear on that. You are justified by Christ and you are saved before good works are even spoken or done. Because prior to your salvation, your good works, if you would, are selfish driven. They are not good works in the eyes of Christ. And so there's this kind of debate floating around, it seems like, on uh, on the the doings of good works and whether or not it quote unquote sanctifies you because that's kind of the connection that people want to make is that these good works will sanctify you and you know and then you get texts like Paul writing to walk out your sanctification with fear and trembling and you know, that sort of thing where it makes it sound like it's an ongoing progressive manner now I'm going to do a live. In the next week, couple of weeks, this week kind of got, uh, you know, swallowed up in a bunch of chaos. But probably next Saturday, uh, a week from the day after this episode airs, and we're going to talk about sanctification. And so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but I really want to make a couple clear points that your works don't matter to God. In the essence that they're not going to earn you anything, You're, they're going to be good for your neighbors. See, now we get this clear indication that uh, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 20, 25 and the 35th verse for I was hungry and you gave me food for I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me now. Obviously, the the initial response that the righteous give him is, "Lord, when did any of this stuff happen? We didn't know that you were hungry and thirsty, and and you were a stranger. We didn't recall doing any of these things for you, because they were looking to do the you know that for Christ Himself." But what He says is, "Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of My brothers, you did it to Me." And so, as I said earlier in the show, Christ has that connection with his church, he is the church and so when we do these works for our brothers and sisters, we are doing them to Christ but we aren't doing them to it so it's kind of if you think about it backwards we're not doing them we're not doing the works to Christ for Christ. we're doing the works to, for the people to the people and Christ is making you know essentially just making note of that because we are doing the works for for the people. And that's, you know, what we're called to do. And I think the quote from Martin Luther brings true light to it. And and there's a lot that Luther says on it that is, you know, quite brilliant, if you would. But one of the things, you know, I really like to hang on is the quote about the shoemaker. You know, uh, the Christian shoemaker doesn't go around putting little crosses on his shoes, but he makes the best possible shoe he can. And so if you reflect on that, I mean, obviously, this is kind of a narrow list of things that we can do to help people. But if you're in a vocation then and you're doing the best in that vocation you can, then you are serving God in the capacity he has given you. And you are helping your fellow co-workers, your, your boss, your clients, whoever it is that you, you service. And so that is what we see. Now, obviously, there are greater works that we can go and do. We can go and help feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and give shelter to the homeless. We can provide for those people who are down and out and and have no help whatsoever. Those are, again, well and good things that we should as Christians be doing and taking care of those who are less fortunate than us. Now, I mean, I'm going to kind of tell a little bit of a story and and. And only because it really it literally just happened to me today, and, and it, it's been chewing on me all day. Um, but I had a gentleman come to the house today. Now, mind you, I'm in a you know, pastoral position, and so I'm living in the parsonage, which is right next to the church. And he comes, and he says, you know, may I speak to the pastor? And I said, well, I am he. How may I help you? And uh, without getting into all the details, he had mentioned uh, he was homeless and traveling through and, and needed some money and And instantly, without even thinking, this section of verses came to me. Now, I had not done a lot of prep on these verses yet i I'd known that it was coming up and that I was going to be recording and due to events in the week, I had to push my recording back. but this you know this gentleman is standing here on my doorstep and and I feel the overwhelming weight of these words from Christ on my soul. Um, we we ended up giving him a little bit of cash that we had and, you know, sent him on his way. But, you know, and again, I'm I'm probably pretty sure I'm going to get some hate mail from people saying, well, you shouldn't be talking about your good works and doing that. I'm not looking to do it to boast, all right? So before you want to sling your hate mail at me, I'm not doing this to boast because if you go back to Matthew 6, Jesus tells us not to, uh, if we are going to give alms, then do so to where, uh, we we don't, you know, our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing and vice versa. That's the text from Matthew 6. I actually just preached on that last night a little bit. But what it comes down to is this factor that when I encountered this gentleman, and I've had these thoughts that kind of hit me before as, you know, I'm out in the world and and helping people. This verse hit me so hard. You know, to, to help somebody in, in, in even in my capacity that I may not have been able to help him tremendously. Um, but I was able to provide just a little bit. And like I said, I, I never had experienced quite the overwhelming pressure of scripture on my soul as I had in this moment today. And so when I look at these verses, it hits home for me so much harder. Because I could actually say I experienced this. Now, whether or not he was just a traveler through, uh, you know, I don't know anything about him. You know, he got into his car and left. Um, You know, I don't know if he was, you know, local. He seemed to have been wanting the, you know, the prior pastor. I don't know. I really don't. I don't know the the whole story. Uh, But these verses hang on me because it comes to the line that says, you know, Uh, Truly I say to you as you did for one of the least of my brothers you did it to me and and it really hits hard because I I, I'm I try to be as outgoing and as generous as I can for what I've been blessed with and I try to give back whether it is financial or uh, whether it's my time or my skills Uh, I try to be as open and, and giving to people as possible and. You know, and and I don't go around talking about everything I do, but at the same time, this one just really hit hard because it literally happened today, and the first thing that came to my mind was these verses from Matthew twenty-five, and and I never had experienced the the overwhelming pressure on my soul as I had in this one moment. You now I've, I, you know, I used to live in Chicago, so I would see uh, baggers on the street corners. Every day, every day, it could be minus 20 degrees, and there's somebody on a corner in our in, back in our town. It would be 99, 110 degrees outside, and people would still be on the street corner. And so, I saw it all the time in Chicago that you know, if you could, sometimes I'd, I'd bring them bottles of water, uh, maybe give them a couple of bucks if I had it on me. But the thing is, is like, I never felt the overwhelming need to help or assist as i did this one time today and so like i said these verses have a very you know pointed meaning to me but uh, let's continue unpacking here so verse 38 um the stranger and welcome you right so we've kind of gone through these verses uh Uh, Let's back up just a little bit, right? So we talked verses 35 and 36 that we are not justified by our basis of works. Uh, And I want to make sure we clarify that your works are a result of your salvation and they are to do good for the people around us with whatever skills you have been blessed with. They will not earn you merit or favor with God, but we are to do them for the betterment of the people in our area. Uh, the righteous that is mentioned here in verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, right? Uh, interestingly, they, those called righteous are surprised at what is said about them, far from being boastful in their good deeds, uh, worked in them by God's spirit. They are completely ignorant of them. Now, that is an interesting note because I want to really kind of, before we go on here to uh, 38 and 39 and 40, you know, these these they are like they're shocked they're just like w- w- what are you talking about lord when did we see you any of these you know in any of these moments or again as i mentioned earlier in the show that they they had no clue what was happening but christ is saying here very bluntly that when you live freely in christ and you see these people in need you will just automatically be drawn to give them and 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 as quickly as this moment comes into your mind to help, and you do it, and you move on about your day, it will flee from your mind. Because I can tell you that there's been numerous times in my life that I've helped people in various situations, and I'm sure you all have too. But can you go back and actually account for every single time that you have strategically planned out and given time, money, or of something to help somebody else? And the chances are probably not. You just do it. An opportunity comes up for you to go and help at a homeless shelter, you do it. An opportunity comes up through your work that you guys are going to go help, you know, uh, at a local food pantry, you do it. Because you just feel obligated to go and help and give back. So all of these things, you know, they're, they're works that are given and driven in us by God's spirit. And oftentimes we just feel that we're just trying to help our fellow brother and sister. We're completely ignorant of the bigger picture of what's truly going on here. Now, verse 38, uh, the welcome, right? Uh, When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Uh, The word is particularly connected to the early Christian practice and providing hospitality for traveling missionaries. Uh, Examples are found later in the book of Acts. So, you know, Jesus is giving this kind of... uh, call it strategic layout for how the early church is going to function for us here uh, in this one verse. But we will see many, you know, uh, many times through the history of the church, Christians have opened their doors to traveling missionaries um, and various Christians in dire need. You know, I remember uh, when I was a youth, you know, not really as good a Christian or even to lay the claim of Christian upon me at this point, but I remember we were, uh, traveling on a mission trip and we had stopped at one church overnight and the church itself had welcomed us. Uh, we, they, we, we couldn't get a hotel for some reason. There's too many of us. And, uh, so the church had opened their doors and we were able to sleep in like a fellowship hall type place. And so, you know, the church was, was nice enough to give us this opportunity to come and stay and, uh, you know and, and actually have a roof over our heads so these are the moments that they're talking about obviously there's like i don't know like 18 or so of us but you know when you have these the the situation when you can provide shelter for somebody you know it it's not always a, a you know something obviously in today's world we got to be cognizant of we don't want to just invite people into our house and to stay with us for periods of time without you know knowing or or knowing uh, understanding their full purpose so Obviously, be cognizant and be prepared to defend your families. But, uh, you know, the call to the early church was this was a big piece for them because they would welcome the early missionaries as they were going out and spreading the gospel. In verse 39, in prison and visiting uh, held a special significance for the first Christians in early church uh, because many of them were arrested. And guess what? Sadly, it's starting to happen today. Even uh, in Canada this week, a pastor was arrested for holding and conducting a service. And so we are seeing that type of persecution here in the West uh, for the first time ever. And uh, it, But it's been going on over in Europe and in the Middle East for centuries that uh, you know you can be arrested and persecuted and killed for your faith. So Paul writes about it often in his letters and uh, talks about how those have come to visit him in prison. So, you know, this is, again, another aspect to those uh, Christians, those brothers and sisters who are put in prison for preaching the uh, preaching the gospel. You know, we're to go in comfort and provide them companionship as we are possible. And then, obviously, verse 40 uh, closes this little section out. Uh, it's a an important theme here in Matthew is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And we see that thrown back to verse one, or chapter 1, verse 23, chapter 18, and chapter 28. These verses stress that Jesus is with the Christian community in such a way that we serve him when we serve others. And so that is a, an overarching theme found in Matthew, that God is with us. And so when he says this, Bluntly, when you do the least of these for my brothers, you do it to me because Christ is present there. He isn't some distant God. Christ is present with us. Now we change thoughts and we move on to verse 41. And he says to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So cursed and eternal fire and angels, hell was not prepared initially for human beings. Those who reject the Lord's will will go there because the wicked cannot stay with the righteous. That is what Revelation 20.10 is pointing to. Now in verses 42 and 43, the undone works are only a symptom of the real problem, a lack of faith. If they had called on the Lord in faith, he would have forgiven them, prepared them, and completed good works in them. Uh, So, again, these, you know, Jesus uses the same analogy here in 42 and 43 as he did to the righteous. uh, But then he changes and, you know, makes the point here in 44 uh, and 45 when they respond to him and he answers them. So the the unrepentant, the unbelieving, the wicked Will cry out to them saying, When did we see you in all of these situations? Because right, they're they're trying to justify their positions. They 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 know their clock is done. There's no further opportunity for repentance here. Christ is at you know the point of judgment. This is the last moment they have. And so they are obviously. I'm very concerned. And so they are trying to get one last plea in there that, well, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? Because what they're trying to gather here is that they could, they could and only should have served Christ, not their neighbor. Because again, most of the time is that they're out to fulfill their own selfish needs now, verse 45, apart from faith in Christ and his forgiveness, all of our sins and shortcomings remain offenses against God, in which he shall hold us fully accountable. So for those who don't have faith in Christ, for those who have, who have not been forgiven and all sins are still on them, they are still in offense against God. They will be f- held fully accountable. And 46 wraps it up. The difference between those who are in Christ and those who stand outside of his forgiveness cannot be stated more clearly. The difference is as great as heaven and hell. Think about that. And those will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, this is a very pointed sediment, right? This thought process is right there. Christ is going to judge, and those who are unrighteous will go into eternal fire. Those who are righteous will earn eternal life. This is not a a matter of did you do enough good works? Did you stand strong enough for social justice? Were you a strong enough proponent for this particular community? or this particular group of people, or this skin color, or whatever. None of that matters. In fact, all that in reality is in opposition to the gospel and what it truly stands for. Because instead of serving and sharing Christ, you are looking to build people up and to be deceitful of their own needs, And you are actually reflecting upon people's emotions instead of delivering to them the promise of Christ. And so we come to the end of the Olivet Discourse. We have gone through a lot of text in the last few weeks. I would urge you to go back and listen to these episodes again if you uh, enjoyed them. I enjoyed going through this section. I think we cultivated a lot of unique truth out of here. Obviously, this is not a thorough, in-depth study, uh, as each episode was only roughly, uh, you know, a handful of minutes long, you know, some up to an hour, but mostly around 45. But, you know, long, long studies have been done on these uh, sermons, and books have been written. You know, you can take probably whole seminary courses on them, so... The study should never be concluded. There is still so much more to unpack and to go through. So I would always urge people to continue reading, continue studying, continue looking at Scripture, and always looking at sources that you know and trust that will lead you not astray but to the Word of God and uh, use that as its crux and its foundation So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this little series uh, in the bigger series of eschatology. Uh, Next week, we will start looking at Pauline eschatology, and we will uh, start to unpack that. Again, probably by Monday or Tuesday, I will have a timeline laid out for how many shows we're going to do, but I'm only guessing a couple. Uh, Maybe we can do it one or two. That'd be great, and then just move on to Revelation. But I want to make sure we do our due diligence in covering the text appropriately and covering as much as we possibly can over the course of however many couple of weeks. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to jump out of here and go continue doing schoolwork and uh, reading all of the books that I must read for your class. So I hope you guys have a great week, and we will see you next week on Dying Light. Until then, God bless. Take care.